Welcome to the Eating Cast. I am Chris. And I am Vincent. And today we are joined by May Flores. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. It was an honor to have you on. So, May, uh, just kind of like, just so our guests know and our um, listeners know, um, give us a little bit of a rundown of um, who you are, uh, what you do, what you're about, if you advocate anything, what do you advocate, and kind of where you're going. Okay. I'm May Flores. I am um, an advocate. I'm a public speaker for, you know, sexual assault victims. Mm -hmm. I advocate a lot and speak for those that can't speak for themselves. That's what I do. Um, I'm doing a lot of things. You know, I speak. Mm -hmm. I work with workshops, projects, works with this. I work a little bit with the city of Chicago on um, uh, helping out, empowering young girls and women. Um, A lot of it has to do with just bringing awareness to sexual assault Mm -hmm. and you know not just in general but more in a finite way Mm -hmm. within our asian communities and just in you know minority communities in general Mm -hmm. um so i write i speak i tell stories i work with small and large-scale organizations like un and un women in new york and locally with the un chapter here in the city um but a lot of my work is focused on that and, and speaking a lot about, you know, what happens to women who immigrate and, you know, start lives here. Mm-hmm. And that the story is not always pleasant. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, in from, you're from the Philippines, right? Yes, I was born in the Philippines and I immigrated when I was 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually went over kind of on YouTube. We actually, or I, I stumbled upon um, kind of your storytelling about Kind of like you, your sister, your mom, and your kind of story of um, your immigration, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, that's just really, in my opinion, really um, heartwarming, at least, to see there are people that are kind of like willing to kind of step out of their way to kind of do their part in reconnecting or um, trying to bring the mo- a mother and you know their children back together. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And if you're okay with it, if, if you don't mind, would you kind of like um, give our listeners kind of like a little sure. Uh, about that yeah you know my mom there was a revolution happening mm-hmm. in the philippines during that time and they were very tight on immigration and my mom was a single parent already during that time so my sisters and i ended up staying with cousins because mm-hmm. the you know the yeah. border was not allowing us to leave as a family mm-hmm. because at the time they knew everybody was trying to flee okay and you know they obviously knew that if they allowed us to leave we would never come back so in order for my mom to come back they said you can go but you leave your girls here and so my mom came here to chicago my godmother was already here Mm -hmm. and you know said i'm just i just need a job so my my very educated mother you know who worked under you know the Philippine Heart Center for Asia mm-hmm. came here and was like, I will scrub floors. I will clean bathrooms. I just need to start working so I can help get my children here yeah. as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So my godmother goes, let's go to, you know, my nursing care facility where I'm, you know, uh, head of nursing. And let's see if we can get you a job somewhere there. And that's how she met Jacqueline Mason, who, you know, was the owner and, mm-hmm. My mom cried and was like, I just need a job, any job. I have two girls there. And, you know, at the time, Jacqueline didn't really realize what that entailed, Mm -hmm. getting, you know, a mother and two children here. She was accustomed to sponsoring Filipino nurses at the time. So she thought it was going to be easy. Mm -hmm. But because of the political strife that Mm -hmm. was happening, she had a very, you know, it was a very long-winded process, right. which she committed to just out of the goodness of her heart. Yeah. She just felt like, I need to help this poor mother. Mothers and children, she always said, should never be separated from one another. Mm-hmm. And so she said, okay, this will be a breeze. <laughs> and it ended up being this very difficult process to get us mm-hmm. through. How long did it take? Um, well, short in the term of, you know, the situation it was yeah. a year. Yeah. But, you know, it took a lot of full-time work. And, you know, she had a lot of help and she had to tap into some connections to try to do it. And it was one, you know, 
negative denial after another you know like no you are not those girls will not be approved they started to know her name in the mm-hmm. philippine consulate they're like oh it's jacqueline mason again you know <laughs> it's like she's requesting for this family and yeah. even more they made it like their personal mission not to allow us in oh, and so you wild. know that it went through this whole you probably saw the video this mm-hmm. whole kind of like very unique situation yeah. of yeah. getting us through and she ended up being like family when she got us here. She didn't realize, you know, this is a white woman from way raised in Peoria, Illinois, yeah. grew up in Kentucky, didn't worked in like a coal mining family. Mm-hmm. She had no idea. She was a single woman, just literally made business and healthcare her life. Yeah. And she ended up being my mom, you know, like in all in all sense and purposes, she was my mother and they both raised us together and they had no plan on doing that. Yeah. She just said, I'm going to help adjust this family mm. and get them here. So mm-hmm. it became this very loving, you know, and she passed away um, 10 years ago this yeah. year. And it still doesn't feel the same, mm. you know, because she was a parent. She drove yeah. me to college. You know, she she got me my first driving lesson oh, and man. she drove me to, you know, yeah. my high school entrance exam. Yeah. She cried with me. She grounded me. She gave me a curfew, you know, yeah. things my mom wouldn't have known about American culture, which made our, you know, our integration into culture so much smoother yeah. because we had no idea how life was going to be mm-hmm. here. And so we were so fortunate more than I think a nor- a regular family that comes here and takes all those risks. She gave us that gateway yeah. to have a better life, a better and easier life here. Yeah. But definitely like bless those people. So that helped mm-hmm. sponsor people over. Cause my parents also were sponsored by this one guy and they would always bring him up. He was like this very kind white man. And like my parents always talk about like, like um, they owe a lot to him. And I'm like, yeah. If, we, yeah, if it weren't for him, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. It's so, and, and they're just out of nowhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's like, just seeing like the dynamic of um, kind of how each immigrant family, in, especially like um, the early, like, or the late 90s, uh, sorry, let me backtrack. Um, so like the, it's like from the 70s all the way up to like the late, late 90s, mm-hmm. just kind of mm-hmm. seeing that, um, the difference in like how, each individual family took it upon themselves to kind of like try and create something out of nothing. And then like other individuals that were sponsored to kind of come to the U S and everything like that, because it's really different just like everyone else, right? Like every other, every single person you see out there is different, just like their family story. And that's like really awesome. Right. Cause like your story is like very intertwined with a, a lot of, um, little uh, things going here and there um especially with um when you find when you're you guys finally made that transition to go from the philippines and then through those airports and then to um japan and then to the states right, there was so that was much. really interesting yeah. that was a lot. and then like um with his um family just being sponsored and yeah like my family we pretty much just um from what my family has told me at least my grandfather he used to work as a chef on a shipping boat mm-hmm. in like the uh 70s and pretty much he would see the world, right? And his family was back in China. And he just found this one place. I think, I believe he entered through New York. So he was on the shipping boat and then he came through New York and then basically saw America and was like, all right, this is it. Wow. Yeah. And then from there, ground up, he set up shop. My grandfather's a cook. He specialized in like making noodles, wonton noodles, mm-hmm. and yeah, we just kind of like slowly but surely he was trying to bring everyone back over here, and he eventually did. Mm-hmm. And bless right. his soul, you know, he did everything he could to pretty much just provide for the family. And now my father and my uncle are doing the exact same thing, you know, and that's just amazing. Right. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's like a, it's like a a trail of like, okay, somebody did it for us. We're going to do it. And they continue to do that. Mm -hmm. My aunt Tita J, who I call her Jacqueline Mm -hmm. Mason became Tita J. Yeah. But we, she literally continued to keep sponsoring our family members. Yeah. It wasn't done for her. She was, she just wanted us to have family here. So it became a different mission for her and she didn't have to do any of that. 
you know, and now their children are here. So she would sponsor a cousin. And now that oh, their families are wow. here, most of our families here because of that generosity of yeah. one person. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It opened a gateway because we became the first family to move here right. from our family. My mom has a lot of brothers and sisters and extended yeah. family, and now they have an opportunity to be here. And mm-hmm. what they did with that opportunity is up to them. But T to J really, you know, changed your lives. Yeah, yeah, like planted the seed and yeah. it grew from there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can't even express how you know, as an adult, and you're thinking about it, it just changes your view of our immigration stories yeah because it's so unique everybody's stories are so unique for sure like your uncle on the boat i mean just to say like i'm here okay this is the place yeah after like going to europe maybe or yeah 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 Yeah, my grandfather pretty much um he went from i want to say hong kong and then he went to like um australia i'm just trying to remember I, I don't really remember too well but yeah like he just pretty much everywhere he had he, opportunity he, to yeah, stop yes. anywhere he chose America. yeah he yeah. went everywhere he's been to those places and like I believe somewhere in South America all the way through Europe mm. and then from there to the states do you do you think um coming from like an immigrant family does that have an effect on especially the younger kids knowing that they're the previous generation you know went through all this shit and like they're tough and so the younger generation feel like they can't voice their own struggles because it's not comparative to what the parents Oh did. yeah, I could see that. You know, I can't I can see youth. I haven't heard of it, but yeah, that's a great great that's a great point because you know, when you hear the strife and the mm-hmm. struggles of those that have come before you, how can your own worries within your own room or your own life seem so extreme to you? Yeah. Maybe in some ways, depending on that person, it can be an encouragement or something empowering, or it could be something that's like, forget it then, I just won't talk about it mm-hmm. because you obviously had a more difficult life and then you learn to keep it in and you learn, you know, there's, it could be, you know, however the personality is it could go yeah. anywhere it can't go anywhere know? and just like with each individual family again like it's something that it's up to the family to kind of like handle it the way they want to handle it mm-hmm. right because there is going to be that separation right where the generation that is that were kids that um, immigrated here and the generation that was the first one to be born here they're going to have completely different lives than their parents just because right. they're the ones just trying to build that um, house, right, from nothing, right? They're just grabbing that dirt and just kind of putting in water and mixing it, making these little brick uh, briquettes, and just building that house for you guys, you know? That's that's their job. Right. You know, and you have the freedom of having a roof over your head and to really explore who you are as a person and kind of, like, pursue your passions and do whatever, whatever you like, you know? And actually just... um. I watched this video last night about a family in Houston. So they are a Chinese family from Hong Kong, and or I believe they're from um, mainland China, but slowly kind of moved to Hong Kong and then over to the States. But this family is five generations of chefs, and the youngest generation, um, which who was born in the States, and kind of grew up in the kitchen in a like um, Chinese seafood restaurant. Mm-hmm. She was talking about how it was that exposure that really drove her to kind of love cooking, and what really kind of made her pursue that as a passion of hers. And her father, you know, um, who's been a chef from Hong Kong to the states. He's been cooking for 47 years or so. Mm-hmm. Was never going to expect that uh, his daughter to be, like, interested in pursuing, like, um, like some type of culinary art. He probably was like, be a doctor. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know, don't be, a, don't cook. <laughs> exactly. Don't cook like my dad. She's like, I like, wear a different white coat. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Apron and That's a good one. I like that. that. Is, I, like, I that. like different yeah. white coat. I love that. Mm. I think that happens, you yeah. know, a lot is that... Like, my mom expected so much more. She was an educator, you know. She ended up getting her master's degree here in social work, and yeah. you know, which I admired. And I remember going to school thinking, like, oh, 
because I wanted to be a professional dancer. I remember because because of Tita, she signed us up for the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. my life became dancing. I learned I love to act and dance and be in front of a crowd and perform. Then there's that part of my mom that was like, I really want you to have something more, mm-hmm. you know, but she went along with this idea, which is uncommon for, you know, Asian parents or Islander parents is like you don't really encourage them to pursue the arts very much right, or right. you don't, you know, true. you let them have it as a side gig, you know, yeah. as something to do <laughs> on their private time. Right. I don't want you to a make hobby. a life. Yeah. Right. And my mom, you know, was very much an encouragement of us pursuing the arts and maybe hoping that we'd do something else Mm -hmm. of more substance to them, Mm -hmm. not realizing, you know, that we wanted this for our lives. Like my sister ended up being a dance minor, too. You know, we became, you know, really integrated into the arts. Mm -hmm. But again, planted the seed by Tita J. You know, she she was like. You guys are really good at performing. I'm going to sign you up for dance classes, theater classes, wow. voice lessons. Like she found that, mm-hmm. and she ran a health. She could have easily been like, "You want to learn healthcare? Like I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. I right. own a nursing care facility. <laughs> oh, I, you know." And she, I ended up working there in high school, yeah, like yeah. answering phones and That's being awesome. a runner. But you know, I had all of these opportunities really to pursue what I wanted. Yeah. And and that's rare for it an Asian rare. family. Oh my god, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um and also so you so it seems like your mom's very open minded, right? Yes. Yeah. Was it easy for you to come out and tell her about your um experiences with the sexual assault? You know story? what? Not the first time. Um I think that's also because of maturity and also being, you know, it's such an extreme thing and you have this idea planted in your head of um, she was a, a dean at a high school at the time. Yeah. So you have this plan of like, what did you do that could have encouraged that to happen to you? And I was scared, you know, her being an educator, working with teenagers that she would think, you know, you shouldn't have put yourself in that situation. That was all that was going on in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, what did you do to encourage that man to do that to right. you? And we were on vacation, you know, yeah. at the time. And I remember thinking like I can't tell anybody I can't because what if I did I don't even know what this person looks like you know and what if I did you know flirt or give him a look it could have been my fault so I really you know that sat with me for decades like it was that your thought fault. yeah right. I still do like on and in times when I'm quiet even though I know all the tools on how to heal myself and, and mm-hmm. be a little bit more logical about life I still do that I go through that where I'm like you know, you, you could have been flirting with this person. He could have been, like, ship crew. He could have been, you know. Hmm. You may not have given him a smile and he felt encouraged. You know, I think a lot of people of sexual, that are victims of sexual assault of all genders, you know, of all, they they will do that just mm-hmm. naturally. It's just like a kid that gets, you know, beaten up. You're going to blame yourself even if you know it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. You're going to find a way to yeah. blame yourself for things that that are bad that happened to mm-hmm. you. That's yeah, crazy. It's it's kind of like your your mind just sets up these uh what do you call them? It, your your mind just sets up these like little self-sabotaging mm-hmm. um a lot. like uh, yeah, you put your your brain just kind of sets up like a self sabotaging um, mindset that just kind of snowballs after certain events like that, like especially like traumatic events. And I feel like that's just really that's just crazy. It's mind boggling that yeah. it does that, especially like if you're new to that experience mm-hmm. and you don't have the tools to heal, and yeah. then that oh, just like not. faster and gets bigger and. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gets worse from there. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I think if I didn't have dance, I wasn't dancing full time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that goal. I think that I would have been a lot more lost than I yeah. was. I already was. But at least I had a means of expression where I could just go and perform. And I was like, okay, something's getting out there. If I would do like a, an angry dance, it mm-hmm. came out, you know, in yeah. choreography. Like, a lot of people don't have tools. And that's why I think arts are really important in in really helping people get through trauma Mm -hmm. you know you need an outlet like painting singing dancing you know there's there needs to be an outlet for for energy like that inside of you and that's why you know i i'm i started this program called light me up 
And yeah, I I started this program called Light Me Up, which were the tools that I used Mm -hmm. during, you know, that traumatic time after that happened my senior year in high school Mm -hmm. to really help myself because it wasn't perfect. I couldn't just go get therapy, you know, I couldn't without telling people why I needed the therapy. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the money, you know, like I had the I I personally did not have the money and I was too scared to ask for the help. And so there needed to be ways for me to do that. And I that's why it was like movement, acting and the arts were always a big thing for me. So then I started working with the UN on Mm -hmm. a, a little side project that was which is light me up. And they said, why don't we go back to how you healed yourself and maybe teach people who don't have the means to access therapy, talk to their parents right away to just be able to use those same tools you had. Mm -hmm. So then that developed into some sort of like methodology of like what I did during that time, which was a lot of journaling and then creating dance choreography and then letting it out. Mm -hmm. So now I encapsulate it into like an hour class where I can work with young kids that it can just not just be sexual violence, but it could be violence of all kinds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I want to work with the inner city youth on how to do that when there's gun violence or when there's violence at home or what do you do when you can't and you're hearing the the fights and the shouting outside your bedroom door or right in front of you. What can you use as tools within yourself to be able to heal? And so I use a lot of that, like tapping about you know meditation and music and the types of music that you listen to that can really like bring you back to and center yourself so i i do a lot of that in the programming um and then for our listeners who don't know too much about your story would you be comfortable sharing what happened to you sure sure um you know it never gets easy to say it Mm -hmm. but i do say it because i know that it helps more than it doesn't so um, I was sexually assaulted on a, on a trip with my family um, my senior year. It was New Year's Eve. And, you know, we were dancing with the other teenagers. And I said, you know, I want to change out of this, my, my dress and wear jeans because everybody was all dressed up. So I went to my room. Um, it was a cruise. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went to my room and I didn't hear anyone follow me because all you hear on a cruise boat is like like as a background it's like white noise Mm -hmm. and you know you 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 don't really hear and as a kid do you really pay attention to your space and who's following you and you're in a hurry and you're gonna miss you know the parties i was rushing i was not paying attention how how old were you i was um 18 okay and i went into that hallway and it's really narrow and i just remember i still visualize it like running to it putting the card key in and then I was hit without like I just felt a wind like like somebody running behind me and I just remember hitting it was like time just right when I I turned the latch down I remember my face just slammed on the door and I was just you don't have time to really gather yourself Mm -hmm. you know you're just like flat and to turn that light on you have to put that key card back in Mm. So the lights in the room of this cabin turn oh, on. Okay. So I have no clue. Right. I have no clue what happened. All I remember is like there's this little hole, you know, in this cabin bedroom. And I remember that's all I was I could see from like the corner of my eye. I don't even know how long it took. Like I don't even know. All I heard was rustling and the door closed. Mm. It was almost like my mind blocked out a lot of things. But over the years, I remember in therapy just like them gathering thoughts more and more. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened and that happened. But one thing I do remember is like sounds and smell. Mm. So a lot of the things like imagine being, you know, a teenager and then growing up. And like you connect those sounds and like that smell and to your intimate relationships. And it becomes hard for you to really like connect on an intimate way because it's so distorted. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it reminds you, right? It reminds okay. you. It, it's lessened over the years. But, you know, you there's just times when you're like, I'm supposed to be enjoying my partner. Right. And then you realize, oh, wait, you know, stop. Like, mm-hmm. imagine that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so that became my life. And you know how you were talking about the snowball effect? It's so true if you don't handle it. Because mm-hmm. I didn't. And I did it on my own. And I really didn't talk about it for the next, like, 15 years or so. 
my life was like a mess and I was parenting. I was a new parent. You know, I married um, a really great like Korean, you know, I had a great Korean husband and the marriage failed and everything. And like, I still didn't deal with anything. I didn't come to terms with that trauma. I just kept trying to make things better. So then years pass, I'm already divorced. You know, my I'm raising two boys and I like five years ago, you know, was just out with a friend mm-hmm. and I was walking out to my car late at night and I was, I remember seeing somebody smoking and mm-hmm. then, you know, just late night smoking mm-hmm. on a dark sidewalk. Right. And, and I ignored it. And I still don't know if that was the guy. Right. It could have been somebody else. I just remember passing. And then, you know, you don't realize it happens to you again and you get dragged into some park in the winter and you're, you don't realize it's happening again. And mind you, I've already taken self-defense classes. I've gone to intensive therapy. Mm-hmm. You are a motivational person and you, you know, motivate your, your kids and their yeah. friends and you don't realize and I'm already at this time. I'm, a, I'm advocating for sexual assault, but people don't know why. They just think, I haven't told my story yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So this thing happens to me again and I'm realizing like, have you really dealt with it? You know, have you yeah. really dealt with it? I mean, this is a sign. And you thought after all of those, you know, self-protective measures, you've taken all of those, you know, self-defense because you're a strong person. I'm not an easy person to pin down. Like I'm a mm-hmm. very strong girl. But for some reason, your defenses are gone because that's the system of... You remembering that this has happened before. It's like a kid getting beaten yeah. up again. When do you really begin to fight yeah. after it's been done to you so many times? So that was my mentality. And I I still struggle with that idea of like, I can't believe you didn't fight and you had a second chance to do it. Like you've been talking so big that if it happens again, I'm going to, you know, mm. and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? It has to be different. This time I'm going to report it. I remember it took me a day and I went to the, to uh, Alexian brothers in you know, in the suburbs, yeah. the closest, the hospital closest to me. And I was like, this is what happened to me. And they're like, questions like, why did you wait a day? Or, you know, what were you doing on that side of town when the cops came, you know, or because mm-hmm. the Chicago police had to go to the suburbs and interview me there themselves. Oh, like okay. it couldn't be my local police because it happened here in the city. And so they were, you know, they're, they're probably already annoyed. Like, why do we have to go to the suburbs? And so I get this line of questioning of like, you know, in a gentle way, like, what were you doing there? And it's really important to have training on how you talk to people yeah. after something like that happens. And you know, even medical staff don't, you know, they may see it a little bit more often that they're desensitized almost, that it becomes habitual. It would have been nice to just been given a hug, mm-hmm. you know, or been been told, like, I'm glad you came, even if you decided you may not want to talk about it, you still came. And I'm yeah. glad you're here. And I'm glad you brought the clothes that you, you wore that night. And I'm glad. So it was like, you know, already then everything was telling me don't tell anyone. Mm. And that's why I think so many don't. I think they regret it. Mm-hmm. And I did regret it because my rape kid is still floating around in the city of Chicago somewhere. And they never caught him. The first I wasn't even called back like for until about eight months, nine months later to say like, hey, we, hello. And um, we want we noticed that, you know, there's this case that was open and we're pursuing, you know, a lot of this was when Me Too was starting to get, you know, starting to pick up speed a little bit. And so they said, you know, we just want we just noticed that you have a file here. Still, I went for a lineup once or was it twice? And does it, how am I going to know who this yeah. person is? Either you have his DNA or whatever. You have my rape kit or you don't. It was late at night. I was on my stomach. What do you want? Mm. You know, it's like yeah. uh, there's only so much identifying factors that you can remember when you were being traumatized. And, you know, I your brain will block that out mm-hmm. a little bit. And, and that's what happened. And it's still open. Hmm. There's still a rape kit. I mean, there are thousands of rape kits. 
still opened. So many, so many like and sexual yeah, victims. And sexual we're popping up like here in Chicago, like the one we were just Ruth. talking about. Mm-hmm. Ruth is that behind oh, Ruth like George U I C. Oh, that one. That yes, one, that yeah. one was, was um, that one. as a catcalling one. Because yeah, she ignored his catcalling, right? I mean, and then she was on the phone, wasn't she, in her car? No, and then he knocked, know. and he and he assaulted her and murdered her yeah. in the UIC on UIC yeah. grounds. Yeah. I, in the parking lot. I hate that it took that to happen for UIC to be like, okay, now we're gonna have twenty four hour security. Yeah, it should have been like that in the beginning. They have a really great, you know, Ada and I work. You know, she works. She invited me to come do a lot of, you know, her events that she's because she's part of that group. But it's like a little organization yeah. that's there to support, you know, the the kids on campus. And this is one of their big things. It's like, what happens if you talk about sexual traumas or things that are happening while on school grounds? Do you have a process? And apparently there's like things that are broken in that pro- that process on campus. And I probably on most campuses. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do? And how many, you know, these assault cases are actually being reported at that? Yeah. So, you know, Ada and her team, they do a lot of that on campus and how to make it okay and that it's all confidential and, and all of these things and giving them resources. But did it really take... Is that really the first time something like that right. has happened? Right. You know? Yeah. And I feel so bad. I mean, she was catcalled. We get catcalled women all the time. You know, all the time. And, you know, people think it's like, oh, it's just catcalling. Just ignore them. But really, it's such a scary thing. Because how do you act? In our heads, we're already thinking women are like, how do you act? When somebody cat calls you, just ignore, just ignore. But do we really have to do that? Yeah. You know, why do we need all these tools to protect ourselves? Right. Because we're like, you know, the, the the feminine sex and we need to like learn how to speak so people don't think that we're revealing too much or dress a certain way mm. or, you know, there's this this wonderful artist that does work. She has a piece on Columbia, at the Columbia College grounds that says, um, Something like I'm not, I'm not supposed to smile, or say, don't tell me I'm supposed to smile, because that's some one thing that catcallers will say, like smile for me, or you know, and you're like, I don't have to smile for you. I'm not here to bring you any type of emotion. I'm just here. Yeah. So you know, it's so sad what's happening on these campuses. That is very sad, and I remember there was also I think last week. Or two weeks ago about that um i believe it happened in you said mckinley park yeah um i believe it was a little girl that yeah. was like as soon as she stepped off the train station some a guy was like waving at her from the white van like to get her attention but someone was already following her like in the train ride so they like pushed her into the van so it was like a oh my god it was like a partner type thing and then um they groped her i believe and then they dumped her the next few blocks later and then they reported the cops were like on it but that's what happened. That's horrible. Yeah. And then there's also um, River North. You hear about El Jefe where like the security guards. Were the just... security guards and that they have like a history of doing this. They yeah. just, somebody just happened to ca- catch the security tape this time and, and turn it in. But I mean, and now the security tape is missing. Like, what? yeah, somebody was saying that online. They're like, yeah, and ironic. Or was it the old ones? I think the old ones are now missing. missing. Like yeah. all of a sudden there's erased. like days where it's like erased mm-hmm. or missing. But I mean, you can't ignore stuff like that. Yeah, you cannot. But it happens all the time, every day, every minute. The one time I've ever um, witnessed like an actual cat calling, but surprisingly, so my friend, she was, wa- we were walking together in down River North and the guy was like, oh damn girl, you look good. Like, what's up? And But all she did was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I look good. So I didn't see it as, right. or she didn't respond like ignore, ignore. So it was very interesting to me that she was like playing it off. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, You know what? It really depends. Maybe she also felt safer because you were there. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have like a group with you, if you're alone. And you're being catcalled like that. It's a very different mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm seeing more women feeling more empowered about it. You know, seeing like, I know. Or has like a really great comeback. You know, mm-hmm. I've been seeing that a little bit more. But, you know, there's like me who was taught by my mom to, you know, just don't look. Don't talk to them. Don't give them any inkling that you hear them pretend you don't. And it also helps to just like have a backup plan. 
I know it's silly to rehearse and stuff, but now when I'm alone and I know I'm walking and I see like a, a guy or just hanging out there, I'll put on my phone and pretend I'm on the phone. See, we both have sisters, younger sisters, and I hate that women have to be raised in the, from the beginning to be like, learn these tools yeah. when the guys should also be taught. Um, not, don't do that. Yeah, yeah right. Do that. You're so. right. I think that's just uh, women in general are taught that naturally protect yourself, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect your body, yeah. protect your private areas, you know, whereas boys are like, be boys, grow up, that mm-hmm. masculine, you know, that yeah. masculine side can protect themselves. But really, this happens to boys a lot, too. And and I think that that is one of the saddest things mm-hmm. is that, yes, this happens a lot to women. We're able to speak more to women and their openness now, especially to be able to talk about that. But how many men are not able to still talk about it? Because that stigma is so much stronger. Yeah, yeah. You of, know? of being assaulted? Being a man and having sexually been, been, having been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. or, you know, or or violated. Or yeah. how many really talk about it? That's the same it? with mental I, health. Like, I would actually think yeah. that a lot of men would not talk about that just because of the fact that like you know men in like you know our in our society they're taught or like we're pretty much raised and taught to be like show no emotion right we're taught we're taught to be like a blank slate right we're taught to be like um whatever happens just suck it up and move on right right and it's like even though we're human and we have emotions we're told that we don't have emotion we can't have emotion just because we have to be that like strong figure in front of everyone else and it's like but that's not that's not really who they are right and i'm not saying you know like some people are are like that and some Mm -hmm. people are not i clearly not right there's gonna be like discrepancies right and it's it just doesn't fit one mold no, right. people are people, yeah. you know, and yes, we were raised a very different way, but I think there is a long-standing history of just men having to act like men and keep their feelings to themselves. And then you realize there's this also pattern of when they get married, they're expe- expected to express. So they're raised not to express. Then they're, they're supposed to express. Mm-hmm. And then there's this confusion of why men have a very difficult time in you know, understanding their emotions when they're being told and raised to not talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then later you find out like your partners because they're a modern day, especially in these days and times, we're supposed to like communicate and be, you know, more open with each other. So there's this confusion all the time for men, yeah. I feel. You know, there's... and then what are men supposed to do? You know, we were taught that we're not supposed to talk about our, we were just supposed to solve problems mm-hmm. internally. Yes. And, you know, and that we have a goal and that is to bring stability into any home, into any family. And I think in our Asian communities, it's very, very much the case. It is very much the case. For me, like we always talk about this in our podcast episodes, but like for my mental health with depression and stuff. um, So if I've never met Rachel, right, my fiance, Mm -hmm. she I probably would still be feeling some type of way, like keep everything buried down. But because of this open communication um, and she like forces me to express myself like I've been able to become more of like an open book and it feels I feel lighter when I talk about the stuff that most people won't because it's the stigma yeah, yeah. I love talking about mental health it's like this mm-hmm. thing now because you know our community especially has a very difficult time in understanding the importance of mental health and openness destigmatizing that it should be normal to talk about it Right. right, like you were saying earlier, we shouldn't tiptoe around people who go through these things. Just be direct, and then, um, I mean, obviously understand boundaries as well. But of course, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, be able to talk about it. Like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't change um, the public's view of you if you say I have bipolar disorder and I'm having a hard time and I'm gonna have days when I'm really extremely happy and I have moments it could flip in a minute you know how many of us can really say that to our families without them saying you know just get over it or you know just sleep it off or it's you know chemical imbalances are chemical imbalances yeah. you know and 
and more so now with the food that we eat and, and the environment that we have. And there's so much like ADD and ADHD in the world because they're saying, oh, that's such a problem. But then we have like internet, phone, yeah. like they're giving us all of these tools to be crazy, oh. you know, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> You're like answer your phone now you have an eye watch answer this answer Here's that a fidget spinner. right you know i did um i don't know if you guys caught i did a play um mm-hmm. a few weeks ago which was about destigmatizing mental health and it worked in in you know in cooperation with a uic class that talks okay. about you know mental illness and trauma and all of that and um circa pintag is a filipino-based um, theater company here in chicago oh, they've been around for a few decades and they part this is the third year that they've partnered with uic oh. on and this class and so there's the students that allowed us to act their written stories some of them are really oh, wow. traumatic some of them are talking about their immigration stories and how it changed their families' lives and um, there was one monologue in particular that I was asked to do, and it was about this Muslim student who was getting beaten up at home. And in turn, she was a high schooler that was already drinking mm. at home in her room to like burn out that pain, and she was cutting. But on the outside, it kept showing that she was this happy, well-put-together, wealthy kid. Mm-hmm. But at home, you know, she has bruises, scars, and this was how she was dealing with it. And this is, these are real stories. So that was the project. And it was all individual stories of these students. And one of them had, like, both parents commit suicide. And it was, like, really hard, you know, to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And you just, you, you don't realize how mental health in Asian communities or just in minority communities aren't in the best places yeah no one's talking about it yeah do do people still still cut themselves yeah i mean yeah it's still a prevalent thing like i mean depending on i guess where the individual's currently at like their current like state of mind and everything like that a lot of them do it just because i want to say it i i had a friend that i actually asked before and they were telling me that it just made them feel normal it releases it's like the visual look of seeing something internal come out Mm -hmm. because they can't express it so they see it coming out in blood and cutting and and it's really hard you know to believe it's a a lot more prevalent than we think yeah Mm -hmm. didn't they say like one in four people are cutters i'm not sure something like that i'm not too sure i don't know but it was like some incredible statistic like that yeah and a lot of people too who don't cut will self, will punch themselves there's a lot of really? self-inflicted pain yeah. that's a lot of um they'll look in the mirror and like punch themselves mm-hmm. it's become a thing like you know uh, a lot of self-inflicted pain because they can't express yeah. and that's the problem is that they can't express or there are not enough support or resources or people feel helpless yeah you know it's and a lot of them also kind of like just go the route of just kind of use and abuse certain like drugs and alcoholism Mm -hmm. i mean it's just it's a problem when people don't talk it really is you know i'm wondering now when maddie asked why asian people go to rave so much i feel like a lot of asian people have so many issues that these shows are therapeutic because like you said the numbing the numbing the numbing numbing. like yeah like make it loud make it like lights everything like i don't want to see it i don't want to oh there's drugs great you know like i feel like you know right yeah Yeah. i still can't believe it's such a big thing raving raving is still a big deal like it was a big deal when i was in high school and on i think it's just growing yeah oh is it really oh my gosh yeah we we go to shows sometimes and we still see like a bunch of asian people and like it's I mean, still, just, it's we, just, we just see people of like all of all yeah. shapes and sizes. It's just like everyone goes there, and a lot of them do, are on certain drugs, and a lot of them are just very inebriated by like just drinking and a lot of alcohol. And then you have other people that are just kind of just there, you know, they had a few drinks, they're having fun, and just hanging out with their friends, yeah, you know. Chilling, yeah. And that really kind of goes to show, right? It's like I would, I never thought about it like that, you know, like kind of going to shows and like kind of how, like we just connected all the dots, right? Like drinking to kind of numb out their own emotions taking drugs to numb out emotions and everything like that and just 
self-harm and everything and just kind of seeing that and just putting that into like a rave or like a show and just it makes me want to kind of like just walk down that stage right and just kind of like talk to everyone and be like what's going on can you, know? you imagine if there was like a counseling booth that would be awesome. I mean, I was, it just dawned on me. Like, what if there was, like, a table, like, if you need to talk to somebody while you're here? Because imagine being, like, high at the moment, yeah. right, on something. Mm-hmm. And then you realize you're having crap. Because everybody's reaction to a high is different. Yeah. Sometimes it's like drinking, right? You're either a happy drunk, an angry drunk, a crying yeah. drunk. What if there was a booth there oh my God. of somebody ready to talk to you? And there's, like, 20 people. 20 volunteers of like either students that mm-hmm. are studying psychology yeah. or th- want to go into therapy. This is a great idea. Is that a great idea? That is a really good idea. And just start like an, a small nonprofit of like mm-hmm. volunteer, go to colleges and say, hey, if you're pursuing, you know, counseling or social work or psychology, if you would like to volunteer your time for this, we'd be happy to write a letter to recommend you for your teacher or your class that yeah. you need this for. Um, just so, yeah. you know, we just need people on call that, you know, know, I just want to listen to people that are therapy. having that. Oh, his mind is already, already like, like, hey, I really like this idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is such it a is, good idea. It is a really good idea. It's kind of like how, I know it was really prevalent um, a, a little while ago during like all these like festivals. Um, like there'd be like people that were there and they would set up booths, right, to actually test drugs to make sure that you know you're if you're going to be using we want you to at least make sure that you are taking what you bought like either they're safe or something that they're they're not not, like spiked with something that'll kill you because then it becomes a liability for us like if you want to have it looked at Mm. we are here Mm. but it's great to have like a mental health or support booth it doesn't even need to show mental health because you know that that phrase that's two words terrify yeah. people Chill just be like friend. or like hang with a friend like if you need someone to talk to it's like a hug buddy Ooh, you know like hey like if you just need a hug or yeah. you know because there's so many you know people that are high or drunk that you know it's their best time to break down mm-hmm. yeah the walls mm-hmm. you know that's look at funny. us I know, right? look at us already business development yeah, exactly. we have an idea yeah, right? <laughs> Patent pending, patent pending. I know. <laughs> Don't take it, people. Yeah, right. Don't take our idea. We'll create it before we air this episode. <laughs> yeah. We'll trademark it, LLP. Yeah. But didn't they say, too, though, a lot of, like, groping, sexual assaults, and all of that either come post or during these events? Like, it wasn't happens. there, like, a festival in Europe that said, like, this... The, oh, holy, you know that powder fe- color festival? Oh, yeah, yeah. They Their largest reports of sexual assault at least in Bangalore when I was working there, was the Holy Festival. That is crazy. Because when they're free, that's when the men would grow. Oh. I, I it that. did not dawn on me that, because a lot of their groping and sexual assaults happen when they're on a bus and they're in tight quarters when the women, you know, are, are don't have a choice to move. It's like Japan, too. Yeah, Japan, that's a big thing. So can you imagine... This holy, happy festival of color is the largest percentage of reports of sexual assault and sexual violence is during and after. I was like, the happiest festival. And you guys are like, no. So you can imagine that like even in raves, can you imagine? Men too. Like I I imagine a lot of this stuff happens. I do want to say like when I'm very proud of, especially my guy friends. So when I Rachel went to a festival without me and I was just like I was fine I, I didn't want to go right, right. but she went out there and then Trouble actually was uh, protecting Rachel because Rachel was getting like hit on by a guy and he was like this is my girlfriend back off yeah see that's like, so nice and I was like damn thank you like I'll do yeah. that for you yeah. any day buddy yeah. like that's really nice mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. yeah that reminds me of like back in the day when I used to really go to a lot of these festivals or these shows and like my my like we call them like um like your festival fam oh yeah yeah and like we we would be in this really large group and we would pretty much a lot of us what we do we we were just kind of like in like a perimeter 
more or less right for the group and it's like we're just there hanging out having fun with everyone but at the same time still looking out for everyone else especially when it's like a festival when you're there in the morning and then you're, it goes all the way to night or not morning but like you know like afternoon some of time. those do two days you know yeah. just yeah, two three, three days, days. Yeah. 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 yeah some of those festivals can really yeah. go on yeah and then when it's like completely dark you can't see anyone you know you have people just trying to sneak their way in and just kind of like you know do their own thing and then, yeah, I've seen a few of those people, and I just said, I don't think there's a good idea that you're going into the center of this group, man. No. And they're just, like, slowly, like, they're very, like, quiet about it. Like, they're looking, looking, and they're slowly just trying to wiggle their way in. Right. And then I'm like, man, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to say, when I go out, you know, and I go to a club or, you know, and I see, you know, especially Asian women by themselves, they're always with a, with a group. Yeah. And you can, and I have to respect that. Like, you can see the guys, they're not with the girls. They're just friends. But even when they're with a girlfriend, they will be very protective of that group. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I like that, yeah. you know? Like, that's so impressive. Like, they're just, and it's like all the time when I go out, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially when my cousins yeah. in town, we go out yeah. drinking and mm-hmm. and going out dancing. And I see these, I keep joking with them. I'm like, hey, maybe we should expand our Asian yeah. going out group because they're so protective of their clan. Like, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. thing. It's a really weird and interesting dynamic. I can't explain why, but it's just, for me... Like when I'm out there and I'm just having fun and I just I'm just there to have fun, right, with like all my friends. And then when I just see a complete stranger that I have no idea who you are and you're just kind of like not even just getting into a circle, right? But like like when they start to to approach one of the girls that are clearly single or that has a a boyfriend, right? And they're just trying to like not even talk to them, not even say hi, but just get behind them. Yeah. Oh my god, I hate that. Like what are you doing? Sir. Like, are you okay? Nobody even asks yeah. either. They're just like wedging themselves. I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. How about you ask me yeah. if that's okay? Mm-hmm. Like, that's so funny. It's like club culture, right? You don't. It's like you just like look up and just like dancing, <laughs> wiggling your arm, just sliding into like. like, like it's like you're sliding in like a. If pack you guys of don't know, they're like wiggling in you know their the, seats right now. Have you seen the Seattle dancers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like, or like, or like guys oh with their hands God. up, they're just like looking down at you, no. and they're like hovering behind you, and you're like, like what are no, you doing? No. Like, well, that's why, like, I kind of I find some enjoyment in it, but like at the same time, I'm not trying to use my friends for enjoyment. <laughs> and in seeing other people try to approach them like that, I just just happen to be in the back all the time, or I'll, I'll be going to the washroom, going to get a beer, and then coming back. And I just see like this, like the, this group of people, and they're just kind of like slowly doing that like weird dance move, right? Trying to slide the in hover, there the hover. Like, they're kind of like going sideways in, and yeah. they're just like. Yeah. And but they're I'm not like, embarrassed that there's a group. Yeah, like, no, are do you are you are bold? Yeah. That says yeah. a lot that you're coming in here. You don't yeah. know if this girl you're talking to is with somebody, and they're. Are you blind? Like, there's a group of them. Like, yeah. be wary of mm-hmm. the group, but they'll still do it. Yeah, I just come back and I'm just, I'm just standing there. I'm just like looking at the guy. I'm like, You're like, what? what? And then I just walk up to him, like, hey, sir, can I help you? We could do it. And, like, and then he just like, oh, he just looks back, like, oh, God. And then just like, he's. He just runs away into like the crowd. And I'm we like, could do like man. a full podcast, just like a podcast series yeah. on club culture oh my God, yeah. and oh my what God. happens. Like we could start naming like categories of people. Like this is the weirdo. Like this is the this is like the wiggler. yeah the, the wiggler. This is the wedger. Right, right. This is like the the floor humper. Like this is like there's always and this is like the bathroom stalker. There's yeah. always one guy. That somehow really... noticed. I went to the bathroom, and it's some guy I already saw on the dance floor, and he's like, "So, hey, oh, can like I buy he you followed you and waited for yeah, you. Oh, like wow. that happens a lot to girls. Like that's, that's why we go in groups. People are like, "Why don't you guys go together?" Like because when we come out of these club bathrooms or bar bathrooms, there's always some guy mm-hmm. that already tried to hit on us earlier and mm-hmm. just wants to talk. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. So, um, so, so what were our questions? Yes, that's I'm so we're excited going about what we're we got. We're actually just about to get yep. there. <laughs> so the first question from Stephen, um, mm. he asked, "What is, is the Stephen? Stephen? Stephen, you mean my best okay. friend? Yeah. He said, "What is the most important takeaway from your healing process? How did it look? 
Oh, wow. I love that, these kinds of questions. Um, I think the, mo the best takeaway I have is that I learned to realize, like, if you look back on all the traumatic things that happen in your life, mm -hmm. there's still some joy in there somewhere. Like, it's not your life doesn't have to be just your traumas. Mm, okay. ever you don't have to encapsulate and make your whole life or whatever 90 plus years we have on this earth just be that trauma like that changed my life it doesn't have to like we yeah. we start every day with another opportunity that's like my thing is like we're still here every day I, yeah i was actually gonna like bring that up like your ted talk how you said like we're still here i was like that's a really deep statement and it's so simple it's very it's a very it's you're still here three words and I feel like that alone to everyone that's listening to it will have a completely different interpretation of it. Oh, yeah. And it'll just go the long way. You could be, like I was saying in that TED Talk, you could be going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. You could be just having simple like management issues, communication issues with your yeah. parents. And it always feels, mm -hmm. depending on that person, depending on what they're going through, that it's so significant. Yeah. That you don't think you can make it another day, mm. you know? And then you realize, like, wait a minute, 24 hours just passed and I have a difference. I can text that person today and talk to them differently. And maybe it won't work, but I have tomorrow too yeah. and the next day That's and true. it's brand new. And I know it's the simplest thing, but that has been probably the one thing that has allowed me to say, okay, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of have to with little and big types of issues that have come in your life because if you don't like what's the point right so right. that is my biggest takeaway for sure is that like i have another chance to make my life what i want it to be every day and it doesn't have to be and i can rebrand myself i can go from speaking today and maybe i decide i want to be a writer or maybe i'll go I, and be a teacher since yeah. that's why you know it, it, it just people are so stuck in I was put in this situation or blaming other situations. Just blame yourself. Like you really, it's really up to you, mm -hmm. like how you want it to be in the most subtlest or greatest of ways, like what you want your life to be. Yeah. That's said. So thanks, Steven. I really like that. Thank you for that one. Next question is from Matt. Um, he said, will you address the dismissal of rape in prisons? Oh my gosh, it's always dismissed. It's almost like accepted. Like, oh, you're going to be raped in prison. Yeah, like, good luck like to you. That's part of the culture, and it's really shocking. It really is. On both, on both male and female, you know, prisons, that is like the running joke. It's like, oh, I hope you don't drop the soap. Or, you know, like, oh, I feel bad for you. You can hear that even in angry in angry conversation when somebody is exiled into jail or mm. put into prison, you say like, oh, you better watch your back. You know, there's almost this this acceptance that that's going to happen if you go to prison. Like, it doesn't have to be. And I wonder what kind of reform is there. Yeah, I'm not sure. For that. It'd be an interesting thing. It's never something I've looked at, but it, it is interesting. Yeah. Okay. Next question from Alex's. Um, what are your plans going forward with your acting? Oh, my acting. It's like, you know, I haven't done, I, I left film probably like six, seven years ago. Um, mm -hmm. that was like my, my one thing and, and the stage even longer. And then I was brought back to do this <laughs> circuit and tig thing. And I was like, are you sure you want me to do this? I haven't done stage in like 15, 20 years. Yeah. And they were like. Oh, we know you'll be great. And it ended up, like, <laughs> reigniting, like, my love for it. Oh, awesome. Um, and, you know, like, I don't know what the future will hold for me in that. But I realized, like, even in film acting, there was something always missing. You know, it. I didn't enjoy, you know, the, the audition process as much or the hustle for one project to another. Because I could have easily probably grown into something more with it. Um, I had all the opportunity to do it, but there was something I wanted to come home. First of all, I was, you know, just all the time away from my kids. And at the same time, I didn't feel the same fulfillment I feel when I'm advocating or when I'm writing or doing nonprofit work. Okay. Like I, I if I'm going to be away from my kids, I want to choose something that I can say, you know, I was developing a program. That's why mom wasn't here for a weekend yeah. or a week or not. Oh, I was filming a sci-fi film for the sci-fi network. Like that's what I feel like my life was turning into. And yeah. it didn't feel like it was worth leaving family for mm -hmm. yeah. anymore. So if there's something local and there's always like 
of oh, an yeah. agent Tempo that's like, like hey so yeah. you know it, since you're going back to acting my agent in LA was like do you want to do some Chicago fires some Chicago PD some Chicago med stuff and I you know it's easy we could yeah. do that and I was like no like mm-hmm. I just again if I'm going to be away yeah. It has to be for something good. Doing circapentag was a big thing because it was a destigmatization of mental illness in the Asian communities. I'm going to do a project like that. Right. Yeah. That's worth. I even brought my kid on set a lot so he could see that this is the type of work that mm. I'm doing. Yeah. So if you're going to, you know, be away from the kids or your families or whatever put your time into, I would always suggest like make it worth it. Right. For sure. So, yeah, probably, maybe, but it would have to be the right project. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Last question from Rachel. I know we kind of dabbled in this, but tell us about your healing process. So I guess you can bullet point them. Yeah. Like, I can just, like, generalize. Okay, healing process, definitely pursue something in the arts. I'd say if you're healing from something traumatic, Mm -hmm. immediately find an expressive way to do it. Write a song. Write a poem write a paragraph, write one line every day on your journal, like something that lets it out um, so you can visualize it and see it in form, mm-hmm. you know, definitely get active with your community. There's always something in your community, like our Asian community will always have something, you know, yeah. like Circapentig is a big resource for me, but there are also others, like there's a mental health, mental illness focus, like organizations now, nonprofit organizations that work within communities. So find your spot. Um, there's always support there. Like, that's my healing thing. And another thing is, don't be afraid to talk about it. Like, it was only when I decided to really come out with my story five years ago when I was like, I think I'm the most well-rounded and most mm-hmm. healed I've been in my whole life. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, those were those are the big things. Outlet, artistically, if not, just something. Have mm-hmm. an outlet. Work out. You know, do anything that lets it, lets all that energy come out in a positive way. I definitely do not suggest drugs or, you know, right, like right, alcoholism because yeah. that can, you can enjoy those things. Yeah. But like when you make it as a something to numb, you know, that specific it's a trauma, spiral. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it can get really bad. So. Snowball effect. Mm-hmm. And friends, yeah. like find that one trusted person, mm. you know, that you know won't judge you. Confine Because that alone is therapy. Right. Yeah. Um, and then awesome. to wrap up, what is one bit of advice you would like to give our listeners? It could be life advice. It could be related or not related to this topic. Yes. You're allowed to make mistakes. Like you are allowed to have fucked up a lot. Is that okay to say? <laughs> like, because I, yeah. I swear a lot, yeah. but people don't know that. But like, you are allowed to fuck mm-hmm. up. Like, and that doesn't mean you are a fuck up. Yeah. Like, you are allowed to make mistakes all the time and you're going to make a million more. You're not meant to live a life that's, like, not flawed. You are going to be a flawed person. But we you can be right. But I think people focus too much on, like, having the perfect job and having the perfect relationships and having the perfect, like, path in life. Like, if you really, like, look at it, like, kudos to those that have been able to do those things but even they have fucked up Mm. you know like it's okay to be flawed and then you have the tie-in of you have every day to make everything better like you you restart every day and you can make it different you're still here you're still here there you go that's my thing i love it i should make t-shirts there you go. That's another business idea. I should make t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Okay, so, we need to write this all down. All right. <laughs> so, um, so may uh, is there any um like, uh, pages or any type of shout outs you want to give out to like um plugging in yourself or yeah, much? like I'm I'm everywhere. I'm really accessible. If anybody, you know, wants to just like tell their story, I get that a lot. Like you can, I'm so accessible through social media. I do reply. Mm-hmm. So you know, write me a note. Yeah. I have a Facebook page. I have a Facebook fan page, all May Flores. If you go on Instagram, that is probably the big connector. Right mm-hmm. now, that's how we even connected. Mm-hmm. Um, look at official May Flores on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I do respond. So you know, if you have any questions, need resources, or just need to tell me your your problems, I will be there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So then, yes. So thank you for coming on. Um, 
if for our listeners, uh, make sure to follow, rate, review, comment on our platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, this is how we grow, and you know, we, we really listen to your feedback. So, um, yes, thank you. Thank you. And with that said, um, again, just follow May Flores. She's doing big things, especially within our community and like with just the world. Like, Aww. just kind of like <laughs> establishing certain topics that are currently very like touchy to, to kind of like dabble in she's like breaking boundaries and that's just awesome you know like i just see all that stuff and it's amazing thank you you're very welcome thank and you for having me you guys it's our pleasure to have you on and to our listeners and viewers we just want to say thank you for coming on and thank you for dining with us i know we didn't have any food we just had we're dining today. at starbucks yes, thank you exactly. starbucks thank you yes, starbucks <laughs> thank you let's get a crossed. sponsorship fingers are crossed maybe <laughs> i do drink a lot of starbucks But with that said, we will catch you guys on the next one. So take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.